There we go. How's it going, Brian? Nice to meet you. Hey, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. Good to connect. Yeah, on, uh, it's an honor. So I'm very, very happy to have you. I've seen your name going around Twitter a couple, of, not just a couple of times, every now and then. And it, I knew it was only a matter of time until you and I would connect. So I'm super, super pleased to have you. Um, how are things going, first of all? What's happening in the life of Brian? Uh, yeah, things are going pretty great. Um, having a pretty good time doing what I'm doing every day. And that is really what I, that's always been the goal for me is to try to optimize my work and the business that I'm working on and my day to day to be just something that I really love doing. And I, 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 I feel like I've, I've loved what I, what I've done for a long time for many years, but like now more than ever. To, to be honest about that's, you that's know, I'm, I'm working on a SaaS product and I just recently um, sold off a bunch of my previous businesses. Uh, those were enjoyable to work on uh, for a while, but I, you know, it sort of ran, ran their course with me and I'm moving on. And now I'm, uh, now I'm focused on a product called zip message and I really enjoy it. I'll, I'll definitely want to touch upon these things you've, uh, you've mentioned. I have them. Um, I have not a list in terms of a script, but um, I have a few things I really, really want to ask you about, but I'll get back to that in a second. Actually, Go on. Sorry, I, I just got to hop out for one second. Got to let my dog in. Yeah. All right, Trey, uh, Brian's Black Retriever. Is that the name? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trey has just joined Black us. Black Labrador Retriever. He, he's mixed with something else, but we don't really know what. <laughs> All right. For the people just listening and all watching, I can tell Trey, Trey is very, very beautiful. But um, yeah, he'll, he'll just be our, our surprise guest here today. Yeah. <laughs> um, very interesting things you mentioned there. Um, uh, I won't repeat what you said, but uh, I wanted to ask you, is it, so it's all deliberate, right? Everything you said, something along the lines of everything you're doing now is, uh, engineered by, you didn't use that word, but, um, is this what you would call lifestyle design or do you have any other preferred term? How do you, how do you see this? Cause it is, I would say the, the fruit of your work, but of the way you organize your work which I think is a topic many, many people are interested in these days, and it's going to be a, a more of a topic in the next decade. So curious to know how, how you've, you're seeing this. Well, I mean, I don't know about labels, you know, yeah, you can call it life, lifestyle design, uh, whatever it might be. I, I think the way that I think about it is, you know, because I'm friends with a lot of other entrepreneurs, especially other software people. And um, first of all, it, it just seems to me like everyone in this industry tends to really love what they do. Like, I don't, I don't know many other industries where people are like tweeting all day about, <laughs> about their work, you know, like that, that I think is probably kind of unique to, to what we do. Um, and I think that just goes to show like people just love to, and, and you know, I, I like to hang out and meet up with friends and other founders. Like I just came back from a snowboarding uh, trip with a, with some longtime founder friends and like, yeah, we'll talk about our families and stuff, but like, 90% of the time we're talking about business and our work just because that's what we want to talk about, you know? So I think that I'm sure it's not unique to me, like that. I love what I do. Um, but I, I do think that there's a spectrum. I think that there are other founders and entrepreneurs who really focus more on the, like the biz, like the money side of it. Um, and, and investing in certain things, building certain types of businesses for the, goal of optimizing the the total dollar amount that you mm -hmm. can make from a business and don't get me wrong i'm i'm here to make money just as much as, as the next person um i want to live a comfortable lifestyle with me and my family i want to grow valuable assets but for me it's also 
just as valuable, if not more, to really be sinking my time into things that I really enjoy doing day to day. Um, I'm not going to bust my ass on a business that I'm not enjoying, you know, um, it, it, it starts to just not be worth it for me. So, um, that's just always been a, a, a thing that I'm constantly aware of in my, in my business. Like, you know, looking back to all the other businesses that I've started and that I've run and that I've exited or stopped working on, um, every one was sort of a reaction to the previous one. Like, how can I make, how can I pivot into something new that I solve for a problem that I started to face in the, in the last business. And usually that problem is around, like, I didn't enjoy working with clients or I had a tough time doing this or that. And, you know, so. yeah, I've heard the, I think it was Jason Freed from Basecamp talking about this, how, uh, it's just one continuous thread. So back, I think he was, it was on an episode where he was writing his story back in high school, or I think maybe even school when he was selling some stuff. Um, and he said, you know, I, I just trace it back to that moment. It's not like I started Basecamp in 2002 or wherever, and then hey.com and whatever. It's just all continuous back to the first even side project, you know, in between that selling and Basecamp. So I, I hear the same thing from you. And I definitely uh, agree and totally relate to that. I, I tend to relate to most things that Jason Fried says, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I just love his philosophy on, on things. But that's totally true. I've, I've completely noticed that in the in the line of different businesses that I've started. I remember exactly why I started each one as a reaction to or, or even just finding the idea for the next business. It's usually born out of something from the from the one that came before it. Do you think there's, so right now you're working on zip message as your main baby. Do you think there, there could be a possibility that at one point you're going to say, you know what, I'm not starting this business out of a reaction to zip message. I'm just, I want to start something completely new, um, just blank slate. Or do you feel like it always has to be linked like that? Well, I don't know if it has to, I don't, I don't really believe in any like rules that anybody has to follow. Um, but, uh, I just judging from how it has gone in, in the path that I've taken, most businesses that I have started were not completely random. They, they came out of a reaction to my previous business that I was working on. Um, maybe earlier on, it was a little bit more random because I was so new and young to the industry um, that I, it was more wide open. But then as I, as things progressed, I mean, like for example, so I started my career as a, as a freelance, uh, web designer developer. Actually, I started as at an agency and then I went freelance, um, did the, the freelance web design thing for a while, but then I started my first SaaS business, which was called restaurant engine. And that was a website builder for restaurants. So restaurants is pretty random. <laughs> like I'm not personally connected to the restaurant industry. I just sort of picked a, an industry that was off of a list of 20 other industries that I could have made websites for. Um, uh, but it was connected to WordPress, which I was using a lot at the time and, um, and the desire to have a repeatable, uh, product, uh, and a recurring revenue product. Um, cause my previous thing of working with clients was, was not that. So, um, that was sort of the, the reaction. And then, you know, there, there, there've been many more, uh, transitions for, to other businesses after that. 
that makes sense. Well, I guess I'll find my answer to the question as well in the next uh, decades or so. Um, or maybe you'll <laughs> just be running zip message until the end of your life. Who knows? But um, yeah, I mean, I will say that like, all right, so right now I am um, in, I think, like my 13th year of being self-employed. Um, and in the past, you know, 10 to 13 years, I, I did start a lot of businesses and some of them lasted like restaurant engine. I worked on for about four years and then I sold it. I had another business called audience ops that I worked on for seven years from 2015. And I just recently sold that in 2021. Um, a couple other, you know, shorter ones like process kit lasted about three years. Um, and a couple other, even much shorter than that. So those were, I think, relatively short. I, my hope is Zip Message, right now, is going to be a longer, uh, a longer term project for me. I'm, I'm now in about uh, almost a year and a half into it, um, but I, I would love to be in a SaaS business that that I'm going to sink the next five to ten plus years into. Um, I don't know. I can't predict the future. You know, I'm, I'm not one of these people who would like build a business to never sell it or, mm -hmm. you know um, that's probably the most likely outcome at some point down the line but like um i i'm i'm not looking to start another business anytime soon that this one feels good i like where it's headed it has pretty good traction and uh and i enjoy working on it so yeah i'd like to do it for a while cool cool um we'll find out in the next uh episode or season we'll, we'll keep an eye on you brian see see how yeah. how this goes um I want to make a segue based on what you said. I said I'll uh, ping back to it later, but since we're here, uh, fuck it, let's just do it. You've sold, um, I counted 11 products that you sold, and I would say out of these four or five were, uh, I, I want to say big ones, but I, I don't want to be demeaning to the other ones. Four or five were like <laughs> companies, if I'm not mistaken. So can you help me out a bit with the numbers here? Totally, yeah. You're. I'll, I'll be demeaning to my product, <laughs> my product. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's 11. That seems high, but um, uh, I know just in the last six months, I did sell uh, five quote unquote businesses. Um, before that, I did sell a few more uh, a couple of years back. But um, so yeah, some some of the things that I have sold are I, I think legit businesses, um, and, uh, and and these are things that that I spent several years working on, and mm -hmm. some of them were like the bulk of my income for those years, and uh, for me at the time, the, these were like sizable exits, but not like life changing fu money or anything like that, but like definitely lifestyle changing exits for sure. Um, and then others were were smaller, sort of like uh, smaller wins, but still, you know, a good cash exit. And then others were just little projects that I started and didn't do much with, and I just sold off the project for for a small amount of money. So um, that makes sense. I've yeah. I've counted the four or five big ones through uh, either post media, so to speak, or LinkedIn, and then the total eleven ones I've just counted them from your website. Again, some of them were fully fledged companies other ones were just products but yeah, um... so like some of them were probably combined like um in 2015 i sold the restaurant engine business but mm -hmm. also hotel propeller was wrapped into the same sale yeah. you know um mm. those were sent hotel propeller was a spin-off of restaurant engine same business just yeah, that one targeted at, at hotels but the buyer bought both of them together um 
uh, yeah, audience ops was was sold. That was its own thing. Um, that was probably the the biggest of of all of the exits. Uh, process kit was recently sold. Um, yeah. My first question that came to mind when I was scrolling and seeing built and blah blah and sold and sold 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 i was thinking jesus <laughs> christ brian you must have gotten tired of the due diligence process so many times how, how did that go because i i know it takes yes. a toll on people and <laughs> the bigger the company i've i've acquired myself a company uh micro acquired i should say and dnd was i was on the other side i was on the detective side trying to see if there's any hole in the ship but on on the seller side if it feels even more um uh, cost costly because of the back and forth, back and forth. So yeah. how did that go for, for you? Due diligence. Uh, it really, I found that it actually varies uh, quite a bit. Um, but yes, it can be very painful and slow. And I don't enjoy that at all. Like it's that that's definitely the, in the in the couple times in, in deals, it was painfully slow and dragging on and very stressful for me. And I and that's probably my least favorite thing to be spending my time on and and i while i was in it while i was while i was in the process of, of those really hard ones um i just remember thinking like i hate this i'm not, like in ter in terms of like business people who who end up buying lots of businesses as their approach to growing a company you can grow a great company that way it's it's not for me i'm i'm much more a builder and a starter um and i don't like the the deal making process from either side of it. Um, that said, I, I did do some of those exits extremely fast and pain-free and stress-free. I mean, process kit, I sold in five days. Like it was offer to closed wire transfer in five days. Like wow. that, but it was beautiful. You know? That was like a standalone um, company. It wasn't like a small product on the side. Am I correct here? Yeah, that one wasn't that small um everything's relative but it was in the six figures i mean it was it was not nothing um but the yeah, buyer I mean, was was incredibly easy to work with uh very competent very he, he had a technical background which helped um uh and he was no bs and and it was uh you know not it's not like we were flying blind it's not like he he, he did do some due diligence um but it wasn't um it just wasn't excessive, you know, he saw what he needed to see, you know, um, uh, other times, you know, the, the process was, was longer, more drawn out. Uh, and, and also like, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Like I, I, I understand that a buyer does need to cross certain hurdles to, to, to get to a level of comfort with a business. Like I completely understand that. And my approach is always like, I want to be as transparent and helpful in this process as possible. Um, where it gets a little bit more painful for me and and frustrating is when contract negotiations get in into a into a space where it's like we're not even being productive here. It, you know, it's one side is just trying to score points on the other side. It's not about like what is it that I'm buying. Like I understand you you need to understand what you're buying and you need to agree on a value. But then at a certain point, sometimes like lawyers go a little bit overboard when it comes to trying to sco score points for really no reason, like that kind of stuff gets annoying. And um, so, I mean, yeah, I've, I've sold a bunch of stuff, but only, only you know, a couple of times 
and and certain instances within those deals i i felt like all right this is just getting uh i don't want to be i don't want to be here right now um mm. but um for the most part the vast majority of them have been really easy and, and fast especially the, the smaller ones like you know you don't have to spend that much time because they're so small so yeah i'm still surprised about process, process kit you said it it was five days in and out yeah yeah, yeah it was great when i said small and again i, I don't consider it small i meant you said it had a history of what a year and a half or three years already you were into it with process kit Process Kit was over three years at the time that I sold yeah. it. Yeah, because I'm guessing. I mean, at least it's been my experience. And, and that... it has like active customers and and a code base and yeah, and everything. So. The way I see it is this: the bigger the code base, the more customers. The older the company, because you have all the bank statements, um, all the transactions in and out, refunds, you know, everything, everything. The thicker the file gets, which is why it presumably could take longer. But that means you had a dream customer there five days in and out. Did yeah, they... it was great. It, that one came through micro acquire. Um, mm. and, uh, and I think it helped in that case that the buyer was technical. He, he chose to remain anonymous, which I'll respect. Um, but, uh, uh, he had, he, he came from a background as, as like a CTO of a previous, uh, company that, um, you know, so it, he, he was able to very quickly understand the product and the code base and the tech and taking it over technically, you know, I had to answer a few questions here and there, but it was extremely of easy. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Shout out micro acquire. I, we made our micro acquisition through micro acquire, which is why I've added the micro part. Um, Andrew has been on this podcast as well. Jason freak as we just mentioned him, but, um, anyways, enough, uh, shouting yeah, just out. Just a few days ago, I spoke to Andrew on his podcast. On, oh yeah. His, uh, yeah. I've been there as well. Podcast. Yeah. yeah, you know, he does a good job at interviewing people. It's not really part of his uh, to-do list, but he does it quite well because it's quite chill. What do you think? He does. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, uh, and I've just been a fan of what he's been building. The day that I spoke to him on his podcast, I think I was his like fifth recording of that day. Like he, he went on yeah. a bunch of podcasts like earlier that day. So he he was like wiped out, but he still did a, a really great uh, interview. So honestly, yeah. he's a battery because... If I do a long podcast, <laughs> I think the longest I've done was four hours and it felt like running a, not a marathon. Yeah. Kind of like a marathon. Like I didn't feel like socializing that much the rest of the day because all my batteries yeah. were depleted. It, so it takes a lot out of you. This is my one call for today and that's, that's perfectly fine for me. Well, I appreciate it. I feel honored. So, um, <laughs> back to the, back to, are you a fan of Twitter threads or are you more making fun of them? What's your position on that? <laughs> Uh, Twitter threads in general. No, I, I, I create a bunch myself. Um, but, uh, so I, I actually like the format of a Twitter thread. What I don't like and is the formulaic Twitter threads that we see everywhere. Right. What does like, that mean? You know, the, the pattern. Yeah. Like, um, uh, you know, here, here's 10 things that you need to learn about, about something and then arrow down. Now look at this yeah. thread, right? Like, I, I'm not really into that. I, I'd more like Twitter threads where it's a story. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, um, I just, my personal, what, what you'll see on my personal Twitter thread, uh, tw Twitter account is, um, I prefer to tweet about things from my personal experience sharing in public what I'm working on and what I'm learning and not to say like, 
this is what I think you should do. I'm not mm. going to say that to anyone. I'm just going to say like, look, I'm working on this right now. It's fresh in my mind. So I'm going to tweet about it. And I, I just had a little bit of an aha moment for myself. So I'm yeah. going to try to share that or, or if possible, I'll show it with a video or, or an image or something. Um, and I like to tweet and share the things that I'm building and designing in, in zip message. Um, I like to be pretty open and, and active in terms of showing the work. Cause I, I find that as a maker myself, I find that valuable seeing what other people are designing. You know, what, what sort of bothers me on Twitter these days, I see it a lot more now than, than before is like, you know, people trying to just, um, preach like, you know, like, like preaching ad advice as if like, if you don't follow it this way, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Or um, here's what worked for me. This this will work for you. Or, um, you know, and, and what really bothers me is when I see people, um, uh, I, I guess people call it like subtweeting, right? Like, like oh, like I, I, I see people doing things the wrong way, or this is, or I hate it when people do this or that, but they won't call the person out. Like, mm. just don't tweet, just don't say it. Like, <laughs> who cares, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and I think every person in what we do um, does approach their work and their business in a different way. And they should, you know, because they're coming from different places. They're coming with different skill sets, different experiences. So they have different things to say to use to their advantage so what what works for me probably won't work for you and what works for you probably won't work for me but where i get value is just like i like to observe and see what other people are working on and try to take inspiration from it and uh and and if i think it'll be useful for me then i'll then i'll take bits and pieces and work it into what i'm doing i, I like as well when you share maybe i've seen the other day you shared the feature you've coded on a flight for zip message the emoji reactions i think it was yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's just one example but i like it as well when you or other people uh do this when where they share the process which maybe sometimes isn't that glamorous or fancy maybe it won't be your most viral tweet but i feel like those are the most uh, dense tweets for other makers because as you said even if you've so-called made it it's still inspiring to look at any stage at that process at least for me i can't speak for others but i've heard other people saying that too and uh you just said that as well a couple of seconds ago 100 percent. and I also like i i've always learned uh the best from a just doing it myself and b watching what other people are doing um actively creating and and like the so like I'd say like the first level of learning for me is just trying and, and doing it myself. The second level and very close to that is just seeing what other people are doing. And then mm -hmm. the third level, you get into like courses or books or, um, you know, more structured like lessons. Um, but like that stuff is, it's, it's either it takes a really long time to consume or it's a little bit out of date or it's not really made for, for what I'm actually trying to do. Um, so I, I just get much more active, much more like useful learnings out of actual projects, whether I'm working on them or, or observing somebody else working on their projects. So I'm, I, I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. I used to say that I feel like the best teacher for me, at least, is uh, nature. I like learning from nature. And I think you've been more precise because number one and two for you, 
either you doing yourself that's number one or two observing someone else do it those two combined are what i call nature which is why i personally prefer biographies sometimes even autobiographies uh instead of here are 10 things that steve jobs did that you should do too because i totally not, agree blah, blah. just yesterday i i asked i asked twitter for for book recommendations mm. um, you know because i'm i'm in between books right now and and uh and i i do always go for either biographies or like real world stories um occasionally i'll pick up like a like a like a lesson kind of book but there mm -hmm. those are tend to be less interesting to me i i much prefer you know real stories that makes sense um i've asked you about twitter because uh uh i thought you could make a thread how to get acquired 11 times time for a thread and then arrow down and the the thread icon but that, I, that... I did um I, maybe this was how you and i connected for this podcast but i i did a few weeks back put out a twitter thread about i i sold five businesses in the last six months um but all that was was a collection of the five different tweets when i announced each sale yeah, yeah. um and it was just a place to have like one I also like to use Twitter threads in this way to have like the, the one place that I, the, the one URL that I can point to that mm -hmm. sort of like recaps like a book what I was folder. thinking at. Yeah. And, and also it's like real time. So it's like what I was working on at the time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so like another example, last week uh, I, I started thinking about like taking more control over my day-to-day -day tasks and being more organized about how I run my time. Um, so uh so I started, it started with one tweet, you know, saying like, I think I need to be smarter about how I manage my own personal tasks. And, and then as I kept learning and adapting and trying different tools, I, I added onto that thread. So now it's like a week's worth of like learning and figuring out what works for me. Um, and it's something that I can point back to, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. We connected funny enough. Uh, I want to mention it because we just talked about it a few seconds ago. We connected on a feature update you posted for zip message. I oh, haven't okay. seen this, this thread, but I'll be looking for it. Uh, maybe even reference it in the, in the description of this, uh, of this episode. All right. So you were saying, I, I had a question, but you start asking about uh, my notion website builder. I'll, I'll let you choose which topic you want to dive into. Oh, I'll, I'll let you keep going, but I got. I'm happy to like turn the tables and start asking you questions anytime. <laughs> See, you've done this with Paul and Jack from Fathom on their podcast. I, did. So now, yeah. I, I need to be careful because now we need I to know. split this time. I don't want to do a 70-30. Yeah. I'm greedy, so I want to keep it 50-50. Okay. If, All right. At, at best. So um, let's see. Yeah, you, you were asking. Yeah, well, we... I'm also, I mean, I'm also interested to hear more about the Reddit group. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. And how, and how that works for you. That seems like a unique thing that you have. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Reddit. Let, let, let's talk about that since you just mentioned it. It's Reddit SaaS. It's a we have about thirty thirty one thousand people. It's Reddit, so it's much like any other Reddit community. But obviously, just like the name suggests, uh, people from the SaaS community gather there. And, it, and this is not just owners. It's also people working in let's say sales or marketing. Uh, many indies, many founders, even of enterprise companies, but given that it's Reddit, they're a bit low key, so you wouldn't really recognize them or they, they use throwaway accounts. And then someone comes in, you yeah. can see for their comments that they know their shit, but huh. then the username is one, two, seven, eight, B, 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 C, whatever. And you're like, Fuck, you, did you start it or, or did you take it over? First? No, I took over it, but it, nobody was taking care of it. It had about 3,700 members, if I remember correctly. 
This was in 2018. So the place was a bit of a mess. I mean, not not a mess, just nobody was moderating it. Um, and then in the meantime, it grew to this this size because I started taking care of it. And, you know, the odd event here and there, like an AMA, something like that. Yeah. Um, it, do, do you spend a lot of time uh, managing it? Uh, not really. And it's, it's I, I so I, may, I virtually read everything that gets posted there because it's part of moderation. I could outsource it, but I kind of like it because it, mm -hmm. it feels like you have your fingers on the pulse of the of the industry, and it uh, it will never get to like a million subscribers. Because it's SaaS. Like, let's be honest, how many people are there in SaaS? Um, it's growing at, <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, it could be one day. But so Reddit Entrepreneur has a million subscribers. Um, okay, but that's like all of entrepreneurship. Yeah. See, so it, it's like a wider, like bigger industry. Um, so it doesn't take too much time. I just read stuff and I remove spam or like blatant self promo that doesn't bring any value, but we're fine with self promo. If you, if you share your lessons and you self promo, perfectly fine. So I uh, just yeah. want to make it like a, like a safe space, but yeah, uh, not a lot of time, not, not as much as you would expect out of 30,000 people. Reddit seems like one of those things that, you know, has been around forever and it, and it does seem like there's a high volume of, people and obviously there's a it's probably known for like a lot of noise but yeah. they're especially in, in really good communities it sounds like SaaS is one of them um it could be really high quality and i always feel like for me like reddit is that place that i'm sleep that i'm not spending enough time I've, I've never spent any uh regular time on on reddit other than like googling and landing on a reddit thread um you know mm. I, I always feel like like maybe i should spend more time in some of these reddit groups you know yeah it's obviously there's always going to be 95 percent, 99 percent are just reading lurking as they call it on reddit and not posting so uh but, but you could you could look at a top post of a week or of a month you could use something like Millbrew. uh we've had the founders mm -hmm. on this podcast and i feel like i haven't really used Millbrew more than a few minutes but i feel like you can make some rules that they send you the top posts from a certain subreddit. Yeah, I, uh, I tried out Mailbrew too. I, I think I need to get better at setting mine up. I, I will tell you more, but I don't really know shit. So I'll just be talking <laughs> out of my ass. Uh, but there's like two Reddits. You could use Reddit just like I said, so scrolling, you know, looking at top posts, whatever. And then is the Reddit you get from Google, which is, uh, and I know many people do this. If I have a problem, um, you know, that's something they said that Google is kind of like a god now because you go to Google when you have a problem and it's the old function of religion, whatever. When I have a problem, <laughs> I go to Google, but I say Reddit before. So I'm, I'm saying something like uh, Reddit, I'm insecure about this. What do I do? Or like Interesting. Reddit, what do I do if I want to run better? Stuff like that. I don't I personalize find that, it. Um, this is on, getting a total, on a total tangent here, but like I Google a lot, you know, for a lot of coding stuff, which usually lands me on Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. um, but when I Google something and I land on Reddit, it's usually because I am Googling about a specific product and how to use it. So like just yesterday, That's I was, um, I wanted to do something in my Spotify account and reorganize my, my songs and my playlists in, in some way. And I couldn't figure out how to do something. And I, and I Googled it and like Spotify's docs are really weak, but like Reddit, there's a ton of users talking about how they organize Spotify, you know, yeah. like that took me in there. That's the prime example of why you would go on Reddit for something that you just want to overhear 
I guess, in a park or a barbecue or at, I guess, when you're taking your kids to a certain sport and you talk to the other dads. So that sort of comparison where, I don't know, I guess one of my AirPods were not charging in the case. And I knew for a fact that if I go on Google, I'm going to get one, Apple telling me to turn it on and off again and then go to the Genius Bar and be scheduled yeah. and whatever. And number or two- somebody's trying to sell you like a, a competitor or something, you know? There we go. Yeah. Either that because it's been SEO'd or number four, The Verge or whoever doing a listicle of 10 things you should do and mm -hmm. maybe number 10 will be useful. But if I go on Reddit, it kind of assumes that I'm not a power user, but I'll be- uh, I'll have already tried turning it on and off again. And Reddit is the conversation you overhear somewhere. So that's usually where I go. And also for products, that's another use case as well. Yeah. 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 Cool. I, I probably should think more about that. Yeah. It's, it's usually what else did I, yeah. Stuff that, cause I do, we, our main business gets, uh, three, 400,000 unique users a month solely from SEO. So this is, you know, we've done our work there. So it's not like nobody can ever know how search engines work. But after a certain point, you get a taste of what kind of stuff can get SEO'd and what doesn't. And mm. uh, this is why sometimes I, I'm immune to some uh, some listicles or articles I see because I'm, I'm seeing through what they're trying to do, which I guess everybody has to eat, but it doesn't give me the mm -hmm. info I need. Yeah. But sure. yeah, yeah, that's Reddit. Um, pretty much for conversations. It's, it's good. I think I spend a lot of time on Reddit, even outside Reddit SaaS. Mm. So uh, yeah. 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 It's interesting. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm always looking for new ideas for, I, I do like community, but I'm not super active in, in most of them, but, but also just like marketing ideas to, to get more exposure for, for zip message. And obviously, I, and that's the other thing I always struggled with is like, how do you engage in communities and not be uh, overly promotional about your product? You know, I can tell um, you from seeing, uh, I don't know how many comments is it pretty much comes to Reddit can be super toxic. So I don't know if you've seen that or not, but I can tell that because of the anonymous veil and, uh, that people have, they tend to be overly direct. Let's just call it for, you know, for using a euphemism here. Um, but what people do is they don't get mad at you if you self promote after you've given some info. So people have really has absolutely no problem if you give a wall of text and it doesn't have to be a wall of text but i'm just exaggerating here if you give a wall of text and then you say at the end source i know this because i'm brian and i made a zip message uh they'll be like oh jesus hooray thank you for i'll even be buying this because whatever mm -hmm. sometimes right. people get like so yeah the internet can be very polarized and reddit mm -hmm. is no uh no exception no to exception. that that's true yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that would be what I'll have to say uh, in terms of self promo. But um, yeah, sometimes people, sometimes it can be, uh, they don't give it the benefit of the doubt. Sorry, there he goes again. One, just one. Let him join. Um, yeah, that's, that's ready for you. But um, yeah, maybe give it a try on Reddit SaaS. Uh, is SaaS, are SaaS owners or SaaS people you part of your audience for ZipMessage? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um... So we, we do get a lot of SaaS teams. Uh, so a lot of people are using ZipMessage for, so by the way, ZipMessage is for like asynchronous video messaging with, um, the nice thing about it is you can send video messages to customers or your remote team or people that you're hiring or freelancers. Um, and, and the difference between something like ZipMessage and like uh, 
loom is zip message, the other person can easily reply back. So if you're, if you're familiar with sending video messages using something like Loom, it's usually it's like record once, send it to someone else, and now it's done. Um, this lets you record a video, send it to someone else. They can record right into the browser and get back to you, and they don't need to download or install or even sign up for anything. Um, and, so, and then you can have that back and forth async conversation all threaded on a single page. Um, and you know you can do that do it with screen recordings, camera recordings, audio only, text, um, and yeah, cust a lot of SaaS teams are using it for like customer support conversations, um, also hiring, so like taking video applications and then even doing entire interviews. I, I've hired people this way, and it's really great because you can do an entire back and forth interview or multiple follow up interviews um, asynchronously without having to book a ton of zoom calls and calendar bookings and talking to lots of people. So, um, and, and I actually find that, and especially when it comes to working together remotely with a team, whether you're working with a designer or a developer or a marketer, a lot of the conversations that we have asynchronously on zip message are even better, high quality, like better outcomes than we would have if we had, if we hopped on a zoom call. Um, you know, because when we're doing a Zoom call, everybody's on the spot. Everyone, everyone is live. So it's like, I have this question. What are we going to do about this problem? How are we going to design this page? The other person has to come back to me with an idea like right now because they're mm -hmm. live with me on the Zoom call. But if I ask that same question over Zip message, they can receive it. They can think about it. They can go take a walk. They can jot down some notes. They can show me a mock-up. And then, and then they can send me that response or even record it once and then maybe re-record it to make it tighter, you know? So now they're giving me their best ideas, mm -hmm. you know, communicated in the best way that they can because they had the space to think about it and prepare. And then I can receive that and I digest it. I can go think about it and I can come back to them with my feedback without being reactionary, you know, without just um, rambling on, you know, on a Zoom call because I have to, because we're live, right? So. Um, async, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of async, not only for the reasons of like, um, saving time and working across time zones and things like that. Like, yes, you get that benefit, but it's, I actually think that we do better work. We, we end up with a better marketing campaign or we, a better hire, um, because we, we, we give each other the space to communicate. You know? I'm, I'm a hundred percent on the same page. I, we, we do. I think 99.9% .9 of uh, how I talk to my employees is pretty much async, text, video, whatever. And um, time zones, as you said, are not a problem anymore unless we're talking about extremes here. But yeah, I've seen that as well, that you put on your best work this way because you know how they say about social media that everybody puts on their best self and that is detrimental to real life? Well, in right. here, if you put on your best self in terms of work, that's pretty much the point of work. So having those reviews, as you said, I think what yeah. you said about being in a Zoom call, live Zoom call and asking for somebody's work design, whatever is, is really detrimental because it's, 
especially that some people don't really work like that. They, they don't just come instantly with their best work. They exactly may, maybe they have a bad day. Maybe maybe they they always need that extra time to let it sink in, fully understand the problem. Yeah. So yeah, or just the added pressure of being on a live call with oh, somebody, especially well. in, in a professional setting. Like like you're just not your best. It, it's it's usually not the best that you have to offer. I know that's the case for me. You know, like I, how many times I've I've been on a Zoom call where it's like afterward i'll think oh i wish i would have said this idea but i didn't think about it in the moment you know yeah um and uh and and this it, this gives you the same fidelity of it because you could use video you could use your screen uh, i like to combine them so so i'll show my camera so that they can see me talking mm -hmm. and i'll share a notion doc or or a notes and and just walk through the design on, on a video and then uh, and then get their feedback you know yeah, that's that's great. And especially in, in the industry we're in, so product where it's it's you very rarely implement the first thing that crosses your mind, especially when we're talking right. about uh, a big number of users that you're pushing this to. I mean, there's a place for freestyling on a rap song and there's a place for building product and they have completely separate processes. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, we're, we're the same, as I said, in terms of uh, talking async. I've, I have employees that we've employed for years and I've only seen them a couple of times on live calls and, uh, they were just for personal one-to-one -one conversations, not personal, but yeah. like not necessarily product conversations. And, it, uh, you know, my, my previous company audience ops, I, I ran it for seven years. That was a productized service. So we had a team of, of writers and, and account managers and, and assistants probably like 25 or 26 people at the time that I sold it. And we had almost no meetings, no live meetings ever. Yeah. Um, but the only calls that I ever really did with my team were usually one, one call when I initially hired somebody. Um, and then even eventually people were being hired and I never even spoke to them live. Um, everything else was, was asynchronous. And I do find that like a zoom call is good to have a quick person, like person to person, like uh, personality fit, see if there's a chemistry there. Like if you're hiring somebody new or if you're talking to a, like a new potential client, you know, a, a sales call like that, that it, it's for building rapport and seeing if there's a, a fit. But then when it comes to planning out work together or figuring out the scope for a project or giving feedback on a deliverable, I think that kind of stuff is much better to be done asynchronously rather than having all these like follow-up lengthy uh zoom calls that makes sense and i'm curious to know if, if it's been your experience as well it's been mine that when it comes to retaining talent uh some of these designers developers sometimes these people are introverts and it's just who they are there's nothing wrong about that but it is your job as a leader to make space for them to do their best work totally. i've seen that people people we employ love working with us simply because we, besides this, you know, uh, we give them, we, we try to optimize for uninterrupted blocks of time, et cetera, et cetera, many, many things. But this async part, I've seen it's such an important thing to them because it 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 relieves stress. It it aligns us all on the same page that we're trying to do our best work, et cetera, et cetera. Has this 100%. been your experience as well? Definitely, yeah. When I was running audience ops, um, uh, I really, one of the things I was most proud of was that the team stuck with audience ops for some of them, as long as the whole time that I owned it, like six or seven years, um, in this 
contractor remote work capacity. Some, some of them part-time, some of them closer to full-time. Um, but I, I was constantly uh, thinking about like, how can I protect their time? Like, I don't want to be that manager who pulls people into constant calls because it's not, first of all, I don't want to be on those calls. Second, yeah. <laughs> second of all, the, I know that they don't want to be uh, on constant calls because they're, they're mostly writers. Um, and so they need stretches of deep work time to, yeah. to do the work. Um, and, and again, I, I think that they, they thrive in that. And, and then, you know, so many people that we, that we work with today, they're stay at home parents or, or they're travelers and they have different, uh, schedules, you know, um, everybody's working from different time zones. So, um, I mean, that's the, that's the, the other thing about just that's so great about remote work in general. I mean, for the past 13 years, I've, my, my teams have always been remote all over the world. Um, like there's some benefit to being in the same time zone, but it, as, as we're starting to embrace async, it's like, I work with some fantastic people in India and in, uh, the Philippines and in Australia and in Europe. And these are places that are several time zones away from where I'm at. Yeah. on the east coast of the united states um and uh and, and and you you open up to some incredible talent uh when time zones don't matter and we can still have amazingly productive calls they're just asynchronous you know that makes sense and i, I can see why the need for zip message came uh because of those back to the point you were initially making at the beginning of this convo i can see why the need for zip message came uh you know along the years because you you, you've done your time, so to speak, day in, day out in this yeah. remote system. So it looks like you were the right person to to build this. Fantastic. It was definitely a, a, a scratch my own itch product uh, that came out of a frustration with the existing tools out there, especially when it came to having conversations with customers or with clients. And, and I just wanted to be able to share my link have them reply without having to ask them to like, Hey, can you download some software and install it and then record a video for me? You know, that this is so much more frictionless to be able to share it with anyone. What, and, and they don't have to be like inside my Slack workspace, or they don't have to be invited into my team. I, I could just share a link. And, and, uh, it, yeah, that's the other thing that I, that I like about zip message is that you can have your own link, your own your personalized own. Uh, branded URL, right? So, you know, like this is probably taken by now, but like zipmessage.com slash Daniel would, would be like a link that you can share just like you would share a Calendly link, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, I, like I use Savvy Cal, Der Derek's, uh, Derek's product. So I use that when I need to book a call, but when I can go async, I could just share zipmessage.com slash Brian, send me a message, you know? Yeah, Derek Savica was super good, super, super good. Oh, he's great. been on the yeah. show as well. And, um, uh, you know, we talked about Savica and Drip, but um, I've seen his personality come into Savica. Really, really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Derek, Derek is awesome. Um, he's a good friend of mine. And we and he, he's just such a fantastic uh, product person, product yeah. maker, you know. That's exactly what I meant when I said his personality is coming through. You can see his his passion in uh, in that. But I want to touch upon something else while we're here. So 13 years, you've said working remote and mostly async. Um, any any input you have on the aspect of uh, buzzword alert, mental health. But what I want to touch upon specifically is the fact that 
by being by not having that direct contact with your employees it doesn't have to be uh it has to be mentioned um any any mention on loneliness or lack of this social aspect because work takes an important amount of time and i don't know how much you work but it would definitely be taking at least a few hours a day so any in yeah any insight on that well you know i i think that mental health in general is is very real um it's a it's a real issue that a lot of people uh deal with every day um it's not to be minimized especially in these times you know pan pandemic times we're sort of almost coming out of it now but it's still um it's still very real and okay. and you know the other the other thing about our our industry that I, I feel like I constantly need to remind myself of because I, I work with and I interact with so many different people from so many different places in the world and different and and you know we see each other on Twitter, we might see each other in a slack, we might see each other on a reddit or or on these zip message conversations or, or on zoom calls. but that is still such a tiny fraction of what's going on in that person's life. yeah, you know. They have a family, or maybe they don't have a family. Um, they have kids. They they have situations at, at home that they're probably not sharing publicly, and maybe rightfully so. But you never, you know, I, I think that's one of the differences. Um, you know, coming from, I used to work at, an, at a web design agency in New York City uh, in person in an office. This was 13 years ago. Um, you still don't know the, the private lives of everybody that you work with, but when you see them in person every day, you sort of have a, a, a better feel for what's going on in people's lives than, mm -hmm. than you do when, when you're working remotely. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, but in terms of loneliness, one thing that I've had just tremendous value over the years, I think I mentioned this earlier, I've been able to develop friendships with, uh, a number, especially like a group of other entrepreneurs and, and software people. And so I, like I'm connected to several communities. I, I, I attend microconf every year. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active and I, I, I've podcasted a lot for So, so I've met a lot of people in our industry, but then within that, there's probably a core group of about 10 to 20 really good friends of mine. And we actually get together in person. Mm -hmm. Now we're doing it like three times a year um to go skiing and snowboarding or we'll go on like a hiking trip um and we will get an airbnb for three or four days it's kind of like a team retreat except we're not on the same team we, we we all have our own businesses um so we do something fun and active and we're talking and and we and we've been doing this for nine years now so um so we've become really close friends and that you know to to be to, to develop relationships with people who are doing what you do for a living, you know, working remotely, building remote teams, working in software, entrepreneurship, that is really, really valuable to me. Um, it, it, it has had a direct impact on, on my, um, whatever success I've had is, is just being able to learn from, from people at a, at a close, like private level like that. Um, you know, because like around here locally, yeah, there's some, cool people, some, some friends that I've grown up with, some, some people that I meet through my kids' school and good, good friendships, but none of them do what we do for a mm -hmm. living, mm -hmm. you know? Um, uh, and, and so that, that's why it's been so great to be connected to people like in these on online communities or on Twitter, you know? 
I should do that too. Um, I'm based here in London, but um, it's not impossible. I feel I feel like it's still possible to find enough enough founders from here. And there is at least a community I know of. Um, but yeah, I'll be taking notes from that. Or well, I guess London I for sure. But but like I, all of my close friends don't live near me. <laughs> that's what I was going to I was going to say yeah. I, I guess I could just move my ass to the US if if need be for you know the same way you're, you travel. you're still in a central hub there's plenty of people in Europe like I'm, I'm friends with a bunch of people who live in Europe you know so it's yeah, like true we uh most of them live in the US or Canada and so it's easier for all of us to like fly to Colorado together and get together but like um I know of a lot of people who do the same thing in in Europe so yeah Okay, then that's my homework. I'll be looking into it because, yeah, no, I see what you mean. Uh, you can have very close connections with people who don't do this, but I do get it that it strikes differently when I know that if you if you and I would go right now for a beer, I know I don't have to explain to you what Calendly does. I mean, hell, we've just named it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have to tell you who Derek Reimer is because chances are you've heard of him and it just so happens you guys are very close friends. But from somebody who's that's, in the same that's circles... That's the other thing that I... I'm continuously amazed. It, it this is like a day to day thing for us, but like, I yeah, like you, you've gotten to know Derek. I've gotten to know Derek. All three of us live in completely different time zones and different different places, yeah. you know. And it's like, we're this this industry is so connected, yet we're yet we're across different continents. First. I, like yeah. it's just still so incredible to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a friend who's she's just starting her startup now and she's a very uh, fast learner, avid reader, etc. Et and she she's just connecting the dots now saying, oh, I know this person. I've read about them. Oh, but they know. And she keeps on coming to me saying this, this world is so small, but so complex, but this person. So but it's all connected. It, it feels like a small world to her. But yeah, um, yeah it is definitely growing. We're it's not going to be the same size in five years or 10 years from now, for sure. I think it, I think it helps a lot that we are a vocal industry, both on mm. Twitter and, and podcasts, I think too have a play a really big role in this. So I, I think that's why I love podcasting um, uh, and what you're doing here, because it's, it's such a good way to connect with people, but then you have an audience who who's learning about these people's lives and what they have to say. So then they, then they connect I'm, I'm, I'm stating the obvious here, but like, yeah, no, other industries don't have this, you know, <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I think it's a bit of a luxury that I don't know if there's going to be here in 10 years, if this industry is going to keep its trajectory of growth or, you know, unless something happens and, and it is a sort of luxury. Like I have people who have their own podcast and, um, um, they pretty much listen to this as well. And then they get a guest on their podcast. So it's like, and I do the same. It, yeah, it does feel like, a, I don't want to say mafia, but some sort of like <laughs> tight community. And yeah. it, it, to anybody listening to this, you're free to join. This is not a close community by, by, uh, by any means. So uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's new people entering every day. And I remember when I was younger and newer to the industry, I started as a freelance web designer. And probably for three or four years, I was solo quiet not making friendships not really joining any communities um and i was just doing client work as a freelancer and then it it wasn't until i really started to uh connect into other communities and and meet people 
that like things became more interesting in, in my business. I started doing more interesting things. I started being more successful in the things that I was doing. Like I could literally point to like after four years into my self-employment career, that was when I started connecting with more people. And that's when things started getting interesting. Yeah. It feels it feels like the best word for me is unlock. It feels like it, it's a huge unlock in terms of potential or uh, what can happen. I mean, I was just saying uh, about people joining blah, blah, not close community. I'm new as well. I'm looking at the calendar. Today is the 15th of March. I think I've started posting on Twitter properly last year in April, maybe actually May. So that's when I came out of my cave. Um, like and you created your Twitter account a year ago? No, I, I had I just wasn't using it, but I had like 180 followers and that was just from some articles I've written before. But yeah, I think I started at 180 followers in April or May last year, somewhere, somewhere there. Um, and it's, it, the community is very welcoming of new members. You mm -hmm. just have to have, a, I guess, a positive sum game mindset that that's, you're good to go. Like, just share yep. what you're doing. And obviously, I'm not going to go along well with absolutely everyone. But hey, this is uh, this isn't high school. Right? And even there, that doesn't happen. So that's there true. we go. All right. So when we weren't recording, you touched a bit upon Notion. Are you a big fan of Notion? You said you use Notion Docs as well when you talk to people. <sighs> I struggle with this. <laughs> with this. <laughs> um, I have I, I've been back and forth on Notion. I'm not a power user by any means. Mm. Um, I do have a Notion account that I use. So, like I've I've gone through phases of like trying to to become obsessed with Notion, like everybody else is, <laughs> and then phases where I just get so frustrated with Notion. I don't like how it's too open ended and and yeah what's happening with all these, I, I keep piling up all these pages that I'm not using anymore. Um, now, today, where, I, where I've landed, I am still using Notion for um, like docs and planning, especially when I'm collaborating with other people, especially marketing mm -hmm. people. Um, so that's where I go for, for that. But in terms of like managing tasks, uh, I just started using um, things for Mac. Uh, it's, it's a little Mac app that's been around for, for actually a really long time. I, I started using it like 14 years ago, then put it down, and then I just picked it up again. That, that's where I manage my personal to-do list and my priorities of what I need to work on next. Um, but Notion is, is good, I think, for, for like, like one thing that I do in Notion is I have a doc that sort of outlines the positioning for ZipMessage. Um, you know, who are our best customers? Mm -hmm. How are we different from the competition? Why do people love to use ZipMessage? What's what's most important about it? And that's like a standard doc that I can share with anybody who I bring on to work on marketing stuff for ZipMessage. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes we'll use it to like create like article briefs or um, or just strategic planning stuff. Um, I'm starting up a new podcast. I'm starting to use it for like managing the, the pipeline of guests and things like that. So. That's interesting. The reason why I ask you about Notion is because I see, I see you, Brian, right now. You're wearing a hoodie, but uh, virtually I see you having like military ranks of product because you've been through many. You have your years, so um, I wanted to know your opinion on Notion as a product. You've started voicing it, and what you made me thought of as you were speaking was the fact that indeed the number one thing that people love Notion for, which is its simplicity, but still it's simple but still complex 
is in fact the problem I've bumped into as well, which is at a certain point it's too open-ended. So it's curious to see that it's best thing. It's also a bit of his worst thing, but um, I guess we'll... Well, I... Yeah, you're right. I, th I, I like that. I like that you can do so much, so many different things with it. So it tends to, to fill the need of what I need to do today often because it has the ability to, to write a whole doc. It has, I, I love to use markup. It, ha it has that. It, it has Kanban views, which I, which I love to use. Um, you can do more powerful things with like properties and databases and stuff like that. Um, but what tends to happen with me with Notion is like, I'll start using it a bunch and, and building up a bunch of pages and sub pages and folders. And then like a month later, all the stuff that I was working on like a month ago is not relevant to me anymore. Mm. And, and that's when I feel like it gets messy. That's, and I'm sure Notion power users have, have a way to organize this. I, I haven't figured Probably. it out yet <laughs> where it's like, I, I constantly feel like, all right, well, there's something here from like two months ago that like, I don't really need it anymore, but if I trash it, what if I need it again? And where do I put that? And now I have a long list of old pages in my account. So I'm trying I can to give you the lazy, that. the lazy method for that, the lazy solution. I just have a page, a main page, you know, on the sidebar called archive even has the archive I, I emoji did that too. Yeah. Yeah. And you just dump there because it's kind of like that room in your house which is kind of like storage but it's kind of like the purgatory you don't know if you want to throw it away mm -hmm. or not so you just put yeah. stuff there and maybe you'll get back to it but maybe not so yep. yeah, yeah that's the sure. the the solution so, so I, I use notion a lot for like marketing planning stuff um but github is the other place where we do all mm. of our uh software feature development that that's primarily where i communicate with my developers um i mean i i work on the product and my developers and we hash everything out in very detailed uh github issues that makes sense okay so if we're on this topic of organizing stuff work um one of the questions i see recurring even on reddit on reddit SaaS, on twitter is from indie people SaaS build makers builders whatever um there's that moment when you because you've made this luxury, so I'd love your opinion on this. Because you've set up your life, professional life, in a way where you've optimized for your lifestyle or whatever label people want to put on that, there are moments where you don't have something you need to do for your business, but in the grand scheme of things, you want to grow it. But it's that moment where you, where people, I guess, feel clueless because there are so many options, but none of them is burning at this very second. Have you ever been there? How do you tackle it? Is it just an early days thing? Uh, yes, I'm. It, this is what, maybe the hardest thing about um, entrepreneurship, and I found that it's harder now than it than it was earlier in my career. And what I mean is, now I like I find it's it's harder when things are more open, and I could work on anything that I want every single day. Yeah. Um, it was easier when I had a client deadline on Friday. So I have to work on this thing by Friday. Like it, it, it takes the decision making out of it. Like it's Thursday, I better work on this because I have to deliver it tomorrow, right? But with building a SaaS product, building any sort of product-based business, um, it right now my schedule is completely open and every single day I have to make 
multiple decisions around like, all right, there's literally right now on my to-do list, there are 10 different things that, that I feel like all are like that burning level of like, there's three features that people are asking about constantly that we need to build and ship. There's four or five different marketing uh, opportunities that we are not executing on. We need to be executing on them um, like yesterday. And, and it's constantly a decision of like, what do I do first? What can I push off till tomorrow or till next week? And, um, and that's really hard, you know? Um, and, and I think early in the product life, so like about a year ago when I was starting ZipMessage, it was easier because it was like, all right, we just need to build the core of the product. What are the most important things that this product needs to function? We'll build those first. Mm -hmm. um, but now, like we've already built the core of the product. So now there's like more like periphery features that we get requests for every single day. And all right, some features are important for marketing purposes. Like if we ship this feature, then we'll be able to really talk about it on Twitter and stuff. Whereas we have other features that are more internal. Um, they'll, they'll make our, our, our existing customers happier, but they won't necessarily help us get more customers. So there's, there's a lot of give and take on which, or some features will help, help set us up to have integration partnerships. And that's another strategy that we want to do. So where do we fit that into the roadmap and what do we push off in its place? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a constant battle. I, that's why I, literally this week I was, I, I think what my struggle has, has been for a while is like, I'll wake up every day and I'll just work on whatever I feel like working on today. You know, um, like, oh, this feature is interesting to work on. I'll, I'll work on that. But like, I don't know if that's the most important thing. And so um, that's why I'm trying to be a little bit more deliberate about my personal to-do list now and, and really um, being strategic about how I prioritize and, and that sort of stuff. So it's hard. It doesn't get easier. <laughs> that's, that's as best of a solution as I found. And it feels a bit reassuring to know that because you obviously have more experience than I do uh, in product, in business, in life, etc. feels a bit reassuring to know that on the other side of the spectrum is still kind of like that. Because I look at it as I can pick up literally anything as long as it's not completely irrelevant. And that's a bit better than the other option, which is risking to fall into overthinking or into let me try and over prioritize and over plan and whatever, but it's not going to amount to too much. Yeah, I have been guilty of over planning and over systemizing prematurely in the past. And, and I've learned that like a lot of that is like wasted effort. So I, I don't like to spend a lot of time on just organizing. I'd, I'd much rather just do the work and ship it as fast as possible. Um, but I have also run into the issue where I just ship so much stuff really fast. And I, and looking back, it's like, I should have chose to ship something else instead of, instead of what I ended up building. Yeah. Um, and so that, it, that's a constant, um, struggled, <clears throat> but I think as the years go on, I, I start to be more aware of it. Um, and, and there's a lot of like, uh, non-useful, like busy work that I'm able to skip past that I yeah. would have spent much more time on earlier on. Um, but it, it, you know, it also brings a frustration too. Like it's like being aware of the, um, of, of like, not working efficiently is, you know, it's like, am I doing the thing that will get us more users tomorrow? Mm -hmm. uh, 
and and it's like sometimes I feel like oh I'm getting hung up on this one little technical issue when when there's something else that could get us more users but you know so it's it's a it's a struggle for sure that makes sense so the answer is there isn't any answer is it like th there isn't an antidote sadly no I think it's you know I think it's just I, I I like to think of it as like entrepreneurship in general you as you go along your batting average gets better you know uh, or whatever sports analogy you want to make your your field goal percentage like the more shots that you take the more at bats that you have the more swings that you take the the more likely you're going to make the right decision so um a, a, a big learning for me earlier on was don't dwell on every decision for too long it's don't don't wait for more information to reveal itself mm -hmm. just decide one way or the other and move on because you're going to need to make a hundred more decisions today you're, you're much better off just moving keeping that motion going go go and go on path a or path b even if you're unsure because you will be unsure just make more decisions faster. And the more that you make, the, the better your batting average, the, the more likely you're gonna make the right decision. And almost no decisions in business are not undoable. Almost everything you can you can back out of and say, all right, that wasn't right, we'll, we'll readjust, you know? Yeah, it, it's kind of like, do you know that uh, it made the rounds on Twitter a few times, the dimwit meme, where it's like a bell curve of IQ. You know what I mean? I can explain uh, to you. There's a meme. Yeah. There's a bell curve of IQ, and on the left and right, it's stuff like I'll just ship it. So low IQ people, and there's there's like a cartoon of a low IQ person. I'll just ship it, and then on the right side is somebody with a hood, kind of like Assassin's Creed master level. I'll just ship it. And in the middle <laughs> of this bell curve of IQ, it's people saying like. I'll do market research and then we'll have this survey and then we'll have this and then we'll do our marketing and blah, blah. And as somebody who's frustrated, I feel like what you're saying is because there's a lot of truth behind that meme, I would say. Uh, mm -hmm. What you're saying is that after a certain point, overthinking, it can just yield diminishing returns on your yeah. time, on your strategizing. Like, all right, so just to give you an example, I my previous business was audience ops. And my current business, and so Audience Ops was a team of 25 people. We're doing a productized service, which is sort of like an agency where we have a team of writers. We were, we were doing like 100 blog posts a week for across our different client base every single week. So there was that business. Now, fast forward to today, I have a SaaS product where it's basically just me and a couple of developers, and occasionally I'll hire a freelance marketing person, but it's super small. So in that business, in audience ops, once we grew the team, which happened pretty quickly, like we did have to get a lot of organization and systems and processes in place and tools and project management systems. Like we, we really had to rely on that. We had to invest a lot of hours in, in building that and, and upgrading that system to run a team like that with client services. But in this SaaS product business, all that, is not important. Like it's not important for us to optimize mm -hmm. how we optimize, how, how we run our projects day to day. It's more important that we ship things fast and that we're shipping the right things fast, you know, because of course we're in that early stage of SaaS where that really matters. Um, and, and so I, I think it's like, as the team starts to grow, that's usually when uh, companies start to run into like the burning need to get organized so that people, so that 
the lack because when you, once your headcount grows, the lack of processes, the lack of organization starts to get in the way. People miscommunicate. People don't mm -hmm. know what to work on. And um, pay the bill. Th yeah, things things are taking slower than they should. That's when that's when you'll get more of an ROI on the organizational stuff. But when you're small and early, just ship. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you've done something recently which I really liked. There are these two people called Paul and Jack. They do Fathom Analytics and they have a podcast. And you came and you interviewed them on their podcast, which I think was great, by the way. Um, was I, I look at it and I don't think it was that strategic. I think I feel like you guys are really friends or at least internet friends, so to speak. So it, it all felt natural. Um, what was I, that all I, about? I, I, yeah, sure. I, uh, I've known Paul a, a bit over the years. Um, and uh, and uh, it was the first time I met Jack, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I reached out to them. So I, I was actually doing an active effort to get myself booked on more podcasts mm -hmm. um, in the past like two or three months. So that's why I was like to, to come on here with you. Um, Appreciate it, by the way. And, uh, and so what I did was I reached out to literally everybody that I was friends with who has a podcast. And I asked if I can come on and, and talk and some of them are pods that I've been on before. And then some of them are podcasts that don't usually have guests. Um, and, and I had to make more of a special pitch on like why it might be fun to, for you to have a rare guest in me. Mm. Um, and so that was my pitch to, to Jack and, or to, to Paul. And the other thing that's funny about Paul is that he deleted his Twitter account. Yeah. And I think he no longer even uses his like personal email that, that I used to communicate with him. Um, so, uh, so I had to like go through their like contact form, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, all right, they're, they're not even going to read this. Um, uh, but it was good to reconnect, uh, with Paul that way, but that was my pitch to them. I was like, look, I know you guys never have guests on your podcast. Um, but maybe as a way to like mix it up, I'll be a guest and I'll just come on and I'll interview you guys. And, that this was genuine, by the way, because I am early stage SaaS, um, not early stage in my career, but this product, Zip Message, is still yeah. early. So I'm constantly learning, and I'm really always hungry to learn from other SaaS people who, who who've been around a few years. They obviously have that experience, so I, I want to pick their brain. And what better way to do that than do it uh, live on a podcast? And um, and they were uh, they were nice enough to to let me come on and, and crash their show for an hour. Yeah, yeah. Paul was actually the first guest I've ever had as a one on one conversation on this podcast, and and he's great. And yeah, uh, yeah I've seen that his Twitter got deleted, and they had an episode on that. They talked about it. Oh, yeah. and Paul is also a Mercedes fan on Formula One. So oh, cool. uh, uh, if Paul is watching this, uh, I feel like he'll like the T-shirt I'm wearing because. <laughs> the first race is coming soon this week. Um, yeah, that was that was it felt genuine. I listened to the episode and I loved it. And you guys went through a bunch of topics that I wish you would have had three, four hours or just more because there was yeah. a lot to unpack there. But it was super useful. And um, do you feel like this is something you would recommend to other people if especially if they don't know? each other like that i mean it's a bit of a risk but it could work out so what do you yeah, think about i mean that? um i don't want to encourage anybody to just go cold email <laughs> podcasts because every podcaster knows you get a ton of those every single day um mm -hmm. 
but at the same time, it's like, what else is going to work? Right. I mean, um, I think it helped that I knew Paul a little bit. That's probably part of the reason they, they accepted my, my pitch. Um, but the, um, and, and like the reason why I knew Paul was because I've been podcasting for years. That's probably how I connected with him in the first place or, or Twitter or one of those, one of those ways. I forgot how, um, um, I, I do think that just podcasting in general is a great medium for getting to know a person. Um, I'm starting up a new podcast where I'm having conversations like this one, uh, just to have more of them because I think it's fun to do and it's, and it is beneficial for growing the network. Um, the other thing that I, that I love to tell younger folks in this industry is do a lot of things, work on a lot of projects or ship publicly projects, especially things that you're not getting paid for. And this sounds mm -hmm. counterintuitive, but like a lot of people are stuck in the consulting thing or freelancing thing where you are charging for your, for your time, like billing by the hour or, or whatever. Um, that's fine to do to pay the bills. You're going to have to do that but you have to carve out some, some other time to ship projects. You know, don't wait. Cause I know people who've spent years freelancing just to keep their income at a certain level at the expense of being able to really um, ship products and businesses. Um, I think at, at some point you're gonna need to just take a pay cut to spend time building something uh, that gets out to the world because a you will learn just by shipping but b you will you, you will start to become known for for having a product in the world and even if your first five products sort of flop you're mm -hmm. going to learn something new from each one of those and then you, then the sixth one will start to connect and then you're going to have something to talk about publicly something to share and then that's what gets you invites onto podcasts because you're because you're a person who does interesting things you can't just expect to get booked on podcasts, if you have, if if you're just a freelance developer, just working with clients, like you're going to have to do more interesting things, whether it's teaching a course or a book, or creating a simple product, um, or sharing your work publicly, like that's the kind of stuff that gets noticed, you know. I want to pick on something you said there because I think this is exactly what we're doing. You said especially if you're not getting paid for it. Uh, just quick background, I'll, I'll be fast. Um, we have a Notion website builder and just these days we'll be releasing uh, a website for Notion icons. It's the, your usual icons website, but they just click and copy for, you know, the what you can put instead of the emoji in there at the top of a Notion page. Is that oh, what, cool. what you were referring to in terms of, especially when you're not getting paid for it, like freemium stuff, or did you mean some other stuff? Uh, no, I, I meant uh, getting paid for the time that you spend creating it. Mm. You know, in terms of so hourly like, rating freelancers. Yeah, um, like I came from a, uh, I, I was a freelance web designer for the early years of my career. And I, I depended on selling my time for money to pay the bills. Um, and at the time I was learning from a lot of other freelancers and experts saying like, oh, your time is worth some, some money. You need, you need to keep raising your rates. You need to be strong about demanding money from clients and don't work for free and all this kind of stuff. If you intend, if you have a goal of launching a product business or, or even if you want to continue in services, but just have a wider audience, you're still going to need to invest in doing things, spending time 
like real time on things that you are not getting paid for today. Mm -hmm. And and that could be like Paul Jarvis is a perfect example. He was he was a web designer for most of his early career. He he was doing website design for clients, but he grew an email newsletter to like 50,000, 100,000 subscribers plus, yeah. you know, because he spent every single week, probably a whole day writing his newsletter. Um, and he wasn't getting paid for that. And I don't think he ever charged for access to his newsletter, but it resulted in a massive audience for him. It, it, it led him to growing a SaaS, led him to selling other products. Um, and, and that kind of exposure really helps. Um, I mean, other people don't necessarily do the audience thing. They just ship a lot of products and then they, they learn that way. So, you know, a lot of different approaches you could take. Yeah, even the newsletter itself, you could say it is a product. I guess you're not selling anything, but in, in a way, right. you know, anyways, that, that's a that's a metaphor. Um, did he delete his newsletter list as well? Or was it just the Twitter? I don't know if I'm making things up now in that. Yeah, I think guys... he stopped the newsletter. I don't know what he did with the list, but I, I think he no longer sends the newsletter. Yeah, brave man, that one. I don't know if I'll be actually saying no to a hundred thousand people on my, but I don't have his experience. So <laughs> yeah. I guess he knows better what's, what's best for him. But um, super interesting uh, what you guys talked about, about him deleting his Twitter, because I understand why he's done it. I also understand that most people would be saying, no, need to keep it just in case <laughs> I change my mind. And I think, I think it was an interesting move. I don't want to call it a brave move because it's not like, there was any risk of harming anyone but um yeah yeah just he must to... have really he he must have gotten to a point where he was getting so so much feedback that was detrimental to his like stuff that that he just doesn't want to i i completely relate to this where he doesn't want the feedback <laughs> i mean i remember him i think in that interview he was saying part of the reason he shut down his newsletter was like he wrote his newsletter because he has an idea that he wants to share. He's not asking people to reply to his newsletter, but, yeah. but he would receive all these replies. And, and it's like, you know, yeah, I guess you could sort of tune them out or, or you can not look like, at your Twitter mentions or whatever, but like gets tiring. It, it does get tiring. Yeah. Yeah. He needed, um, I don't even use telegram, but like a telegram bot. I know you can just stream a message and not receive any message. Yeah. But, I do wish that Twitter, like I'm an active, I, I spend more time on Twitter than anywhere else uh, on social media. And um, I do wish Twitter was better about giving me tools to curate my feed, you know, because yeah. I, so, I don't want to just unfollow everybody or mute out certain words. I, I'd rather just like, I wish it was smarter. I know that they have the technology to be like this formulated Twitter thread is not something I'm, I'm interested in. So don't show me stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And you're right. That would be just a tool. It wouldn't be a separate feature. It will be maybe like, yeah, whatever. We, we let them do their thing because it's, it's their job and we're just <laughs> hoping they'll get around to it. Um, yeah. Part of the uh, topics you've addressed with Paul and Jack was also pricing in, in this, in this uh, journey. Um, you asked me be, be, while we were not recording about our Notion website builder. And I'd love to ask if you don't mind for some advice, simply because on ProcessKit, you have 
a pricing, an interesting pricing scheme. But actually, even on uh, Zip Message, I know that on your second plan, thirty nine a month, you have five members included, and then it's eight dollars a month a user. Um, am yes. I saying this right? Yeah. 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 So the way that we so Zip Message is a very different product, different pricing than Process Kit was. Um, but the team is actually sort of similar. So yeah, that, I'll, I'll go zip message for me is, is, is a freemium product. We have a free forever plan. Anyone can use it as long as they want. And then we have two paid tiers, basic and premium. And on premium as, as of today, I don't know how, how the pricing will be in the future whenever you're listening to this, but the, <laughs> uh, um, today the premium is $39 a month. And then that, yeah, that includes five team members. And then it's, I think it's like $8 per user after that. Um, that makes but sense. when I say per user, zip message is also unique because it's like $8 per team member. So if you invite your, your teammates as like account members who can manage stuff, you still get unlimited uh, respondents. So if you're yeah. sending it to customers or other people, that, that's always unlimited. That's what I wanted to put forward on the table. And on process kit side, you're saying, unlimited up to three team members and I'll, i know it's not yours anymore but i'm still guessing it, it was still your uh thinking so mm -hmm. 49 a month or 39 a month for yearly up to three team members and unlimited guests i want to check it with you but what i see both in process kits uh page and on zip messages page what you just said about unlimited respondents is what i see re trying to read between the lines is a bit of pricing innovation Loom, for instance, doesn't care about that. I think they just do eight a month for every user. Or am uh, I right to say there's a bit of pricing innovation there? Do you mean the innovation in in the base number of people included in the in the plan, or or having the guests? I, I just mean a better pricing scheme for the uh, for the user. Take the example of Justin Jackson with Transistor, where podcast companies before were charging per show or per whatever. And with Transistor, Justin and John said, uh, have as many podcasts as you want, unlimited. We just segment based on number of downloads or even Basecamp because yeah. we talked about them. Basecamp at one point just said <laughs> unlimited users. Yeah, Basecamp really, really went in, in a sort of innovative direction. I, th I think, you know, because th they have no per user. You could have unlimited team members, I think, for 99 bucks. And yeah. I part of the reason I think that they have gone that way is because they were already pretty, pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just me, uh, a small guy looking, looking up at one of the big guys, but like if they were, if they were a startup today, it's hard for me to believe that they'd be offering unlimited uh, yeah. team members. But, they do segment um, though at 500 gigabytes per account. So it's not like fully unlimited. I feel like that's where okay. they're. I, I tend to, so it's, it's really a question of the value metric, that's right? It. Um, and I struggle with this a little bit because there's different value metrics for different types of users um, or different types of accounts. Like they might be using it for different reasons. Um, I, I think that if you're a team and you have like employees or contractors that you need to invite, not so, so not so much contractors, but like teammates, employees who need to be able to manage and create messages inside your company's zip message account, the, you're, you're paying for those users. Like th those teams go right up to the premium tier and then they expect to pay for their teammates. But nobody wants to pay for all the customers or clients that they might share a zip message with. Um, because 
they're a, a big part of the value of using zip message is to be able to gather, like take intakes of, of messages from lots of people. Some, some of them are using it for like hiring, like job hiring. So that they might have hundreds of candidates applying for their position. They don't want to be penalized or priced based on the number of respond, you know, responses that they're, that they're mm -hmm. receiving. Um, you know, like I, I just heard that feedback directly from customers and this was both on process kit and zip message because process kit, they use that guest feature to, to share it with their clients. Um, people just don't like to be penalized based on the number of clients who, who access. But I, I think that most teams with employees expect to pay for their teams. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Could, could I spend a couple of minutes with you getting trying to apply what you say to my company situation? Is it okay if we do that? Sure. I don't know if it'll be good advice, but I'll, I'll sure. try it out and find <laughs> out tell you in six months if I go broke or if I'm a if we skyrocketed. <laughs> so that's right. the way we'll find yeah. out. We're simple Inc is a notion website builder. It takes notion pages, simple .inc. It takes notion pages, turns them into websites. Um, we like to think we optimize everything for zero headache. So it's as fast as possible. It's stress-free, whatever. It takes 10 seconds to take an ocean page and turn into a website. At the moment, we have the usual pricing scheme of $12 a month a web per website. Or if you pay upfront for four year, we give a discount, obviously. Um, the only problem with that is Notion websites are quite simple. And I, myself, as a user of Simple Inc., uh, if I would have to pay the same price for every website, it feels kind of like a slap on the wrist for building more. And maybe I'll change my mind on this. Maybe there isn't a better solution. But obviously, no two websites are the same. I might have a, a Godzilla-level website where there's a lot of traffic and then five smaller, maybe one for my podcast, maybe a personal website. What I'm toying around with is the idea of 36 a month, unlimited websites. And um, then we get into a discussion about limiting page views or unique users or whatever. But for the time being, truth be told, $12 a month for website is unlimited page views and unlimited pages. So it will still be that. It was just that we would be increasing ARPU, average revenue per user, and pushing people to create more. Any... What more context should I give? Because I've skipped over a lot of details. Well, I think the big question that I have on my mind is who is using it? Is it is it the single website owner or is it like an agency who's who's creating websites for their clients? For the, We launched a month ago. We have a generous freemium plan and we have about 1,600 users. Uh, who's using right now mostly it's single, uh, like prosumers, one of people. We don't have any agencies on it. It might get to that, but it's too early to say. Um, but we have noticed that people tend to be makers, serial creators. So they they try it off with different websites. And chances are, if you have a personal website, which is, by the way, our biggest use case so far, if you have a personal website, you might have spin-offs, you know, maybe a podcast, maybe a community, maybe a group, maybe, maybe, maybe. So uh, smaller things in the same fleet. Are you able to... Okay, so you have unlimited pages per website. Are you technically able to limit the number of pages per website? Or is that like... Yeah, we could. We could. But 
I have to say competition doesn't limit either. And well, I think my, the, the thing that I struggle with when you say unlimited websites for like $36 a month is how valuable is that? Um, like, are you, are, I mean, are, is this an issue that you're hearing from customers that are like, I I'll pay for one, but I don't want to pay for five. Is that, yeah, they ask for a, a discount. They say, look, I already have these many. Why don't you give me a discount? And it, we give them, but it gets tiring and it gets into a one-on-one sort of sales and we're not really aiming to do that. Not everyone. Well, I, yeah. I, I think that, I think it's fine to offer a discount. Maybe, maybe make it a system so that you, if you do have three or more websites, mm -hmm. you automatically get a discount applied or something like that. Um, but the in, in for for websites i i would guess i don't know but i would guess that eventually there might be some agencies who cuz there's a lot of web design agencies who offer design and web hosting services for their clients mm -hmm. and if an agency comes along and says like i wait i could host 100 of my clients websites on this for $36 a month um i think an agency should be paying for all those websites, they shouldn't have unlimited. Um, but maybe agencies are not a thing, and and these are very simple, like you know, one pager websites. Where, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think, I I I would only change your pricing if if you're trying to solve a problem at this point, right? Like, what what's what's the problem? What's, uh, yeah, what's the problem? <laughs> Low ARPU and Low ARPU. Yeah, which is we knew what we signed up for because we got into this uh, industry where there's well, prosumers. If, if, if it's low ARPU, I don't know that offering more websites is going to be the answer um, unless you really think that a lot of your customers actually have more than one or two websites. Um, I, I I just think that if if you're a customer who has many websites, you you, you probably have a reason for that. So you would be willing to pay for more. So I, if you're looking to increase ARPU, I, I would start to look for what are bigger, hairier features that are worth more that you can build and put into like a premium plan. You know, mm -hmm. like, I don't Probably know what that might be. Like if they want to be like, um, yeah, like, like e-commerce. I don't know if you have that, but it, if they want to be able to sell stuff on their website, they, yeah. should, pay, they should pay more for that feature. Um, if they want to have like a membership area on their website, that's a premium feature. If you know, um, if they want like extensive storage, like video storage or images or stuff like that, like maybe maybe that costs more. You know, that makes sense. What was going on from my mind when I was starting to play around with this idea is the fact that with Basecamp or Flowdisk is as well another example. If you don't know them, they're just imagine the Mailchimp uh, email builder just made super aesthetic. They do 38 a month uh, for unlimited emails. So it doesn't matter whether you have a thousand or a hundred thousand, it's just unlimited. And obviously they're gonna tweak that in the future. But in both cases, Basecamp and Flowdesk, people who buy into that, even if they're underutilizing it, they are happy to pay a luxury fee, so to speak, that they know they won't get slapped on the wrist if they grow. So even if out yeah. of 99 a month with Basecamp, I only have five people, I'm like, well, doesn't matter because Asana would have been this much. And even if I don't ever get to 50, I sleep well at night knowing that it's just 99 a month or 38 yeah. a month in Flowdesk case. So I've seen that people, I'm doing that actually 
uh, for Basecamp or for Flowdesk, we're not paid users, but we're going to become soon. Um, I'm very happy to pay that luxury fee just to sleep better at night in terms of costs. Yeah, so I that's ran into that I've early noticed. on with, with ZipMessage. Um, in, in the very earliest days of ZipMessage, I thought I was going to price it very differently than, than what it is. I, I thought that I was going to price it based on the number of minutes mm -hmm. that an account records. Um, and every person I showed that pricing to hated it. Because <laughs> they're like, they, they just don't want to have to think twice about whether they're going to record today on ZipMessage and use yeah. up some of their minutes. Um, and that, and they're right, because like, that's the last thing that I, I, I want more people recording zip messages and sharing them with other people. Um, so we, you, you always have, even free accounts can create unlimited uh, messages, although free is limited to one minute per message mm -hmm. um, to, to limit our bandwidth costs and storage costs. But like, um, but they could still create as many messages and share them with as many people as they, as they want to. Once you upgrade, you, you get unlimited length messages um yeah. and uh and then it, you know like still the, the whole idea is like encourage usage so not penalize them for for using the product you know yeah that will be in our case if we would limit page views because then we would solve the problem of agencies and what have you the only problem is the world i've noticed doesn't work like that if i tell people just like you said with with seconds if i tell people unlimited websites a hundred thousand page views a month They'll be like, whoa, shit. I don't even, they might not ever get to that. They feel limited. So they'll, they'll just say, I'm not getting that because it feels like I'm, I have a cap and then prices increase. Um, but yeah. then, then the solution Pricing is so hard. <laughs> then the solution, the other solution I've seen was do something like WP engine where you have buckets. So plan one, three websites, a hundred pages, 50,000 page views, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. The problem I've seen with that, and I'd love to know your thinking is, um, and I've seen this in my other business and even in general, people feel like, oh, I'm paying $99, let's say for 100,000 page views. Well, I'm only using 50K, so why don't you give me half price? People feel like they're, yeah. they don't feel like they're getting a deal. They will always feel like they're being overcharged for something they're not using their full quota on. So buckets never felt attractive unless it's been the industry standard for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really no expert on this. I, I think that um, it, it really is completely different for every business. Um, it's hard to say like, well, this business is pricing one way, so maybe I should price the way that they price. Like it, even if you have two very similar products, mm -hmm. their customers are probably very different than your customers in terms of what they're trying, what problem they're trying to solve when they you yeah. know, um, I would assume that notion, you, people who want to create a notion based website, they want to create a very simple website because it's yeah. easy and fast to create it in notion. It doesn't have to be very complex. They probably don't care so much about a. They want it to look good, but they don't want it to be like completely custom designed. True. Um, so yeah, I, you know, hard to say the, the, the fact that notion is free also sort of anchors it to, to lower priced stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think there could be some opportunity to add some more power features on top of it, like e-commerce, you know, yeah. and that, that should be charged more. You know. Stuff like password protected pages, I'm thinking, because yeah. that might come with a commercial aspect. Okay, um, I didn't expect anyone to have an answer, but how about, how about your suggestion here? 
what if I what if we try for three to six months and then we can always revert back to twelve dollars yeah, a you month? Yeah, always try it. Is that the know? way to go? Yeah, I mean, ZipMessage started without a free plan for the first eight months, and it mm. went fine. But then I decided I I did want to use freemium as a tool, and I tried it, and it it I was afraid that it wouldn't work. Um, so I mm. thought like I would try it for about two two or three months, and and if I need to, I would revert. Uh, it ended up working just fine, so so we stuck with it. So, so would you have? If you could go back in time, what if I had these sort of questions, would you have started with freemium from day one or was it good that you started eight months after? No, I, I think it was good to start without it. I, I default. This was the first time I ever did freemium and, and I defaulted to a more standard like 14 day free trial. Um, uh, that always makes sense to me, especially early in, in the earliest days, because you want to see if people will, will pay for this and, and people mm -hmm. did pay for it. Um, but I chose to go freemium a little bit later, only like eight, eight months in, um, more as a, as a marketing tool to have more people using it and sharing it to, to drive more, uh, signups. So. We started with a generous freemium plan, um, because we know there's a market leader in our industry, which does about 70, 80 K a month in revenue. So kind of knew that people are paying for it. Would you recommend? I promise I won't hold you liable if I follow your advice and I go bankrupt because I know I'm responsible for it at the end of the day. Would you recommend cutting off a freemium for for the same reasoning, which is get more high quality feedback, you know, turn the knobs on sales and trials and et cetera? I, for me, it always comes back to your customers and your interactions with them. Um, mm. If if you're finding way too many people are on the free plan and they're not upgrading, that might be a reason to test out getting rid of free and seeing if they upgrade. Um, I, I mean, I would want to be talking to those customers and making sure I'm, I'm understanding what's happening, why, what they're looking for, or why they're, why they're not upgrading. You know? Cool. That makes sense. All right. Leaving this behind. And one of the last topics, are you okay for another 10 minutes or so? Yeah, I got like five, five, ten minutes. Um, cool. Yeah, I I gotta... the, the last topic is something we've already discussed, which is your acquisitions or sales. I wanted to get back to it because I felt like we, we yeah, segued sure. off, but it would be nice <laughs> to loop back to it. Um, cool. I wanted to ask you, Brian, wh what is it that they don't tell you about building and selling something? Because I don't talk every day to people who've sold 11 products or whatever the number is, somewhere like that. So, and you haven't sold just one or two, so you've seen some stuff recurring. Well, I think that, um, again, like selling all these businesses, I don't even see any of them as like home runs. To me, they were just more like base hits and uh, businesses that did pretty well for me for, for a while that uh, I no longer let, I, I was, I found myself in a place like ready to fully move on. And for me selling, it was more about, um, yeah, it was, it was about cashing out, but it was more about having closure with that because I could have just let them continue to run in my portfolio. That's what I did for, for several years. Like audience ops, I, I, I wasn't working on that day to day for the last four or five years that I mm -hmm. owned it. I had a team in place. I was working on new SaaS stuff, um, but I came to a point where I was like ready to, you know, get the exit from that and be completely 
done with it and just move my chapter on to the next one, you know? Um, um, so that's, that's just always been my approach to it. It, the, the hard thing with, with businesses for me is, is like when to, when I decide like, okay, I'm actually done working on this. Um, cause that, that can be really hard if the business is like moderately successful, but it's not growing fast enough. That's, it's a lot easier if the business is just zeros and not in a failure and it's not getting customers that's easy mm -hmm. to just shut down and move on. Um, but if it's at a few thousand MRR, but it's just taking a long time and it's slow, um, then it's a harder decision to say like, well, I could keep pushing on this or that, or I could just be done with this and move on to something else that might grow faster, you know? So that makes sense. Um, so then if you are to write that thread, well, you know, just with words, how to, how to get acquired multiple times, are there any like just bullet point list items that come to mind if, if um, you are to preach, uh, well, if, what you've learned? if you're, if you're in a service business, if you're doing consulting or, or an agency, those are sellable too. People are, aren't always aware of that. So I, I used, and I used to be all about talking about, about uh, productized services. Mm -hmm. Um, if you can productize your service and I used to have a course on this, I ended up selling that business too. <laughs> um, but the, uh, if you can take yourself out of the service delivery, so you hire a team, you have very repeatable processes, you're selling one type of service again and again, that's a very sellable business. I mean, that that's what audience apps was. And I sold that one. Um, uh, in terms of products, you know, I, I, I wouldn't start a new idea, a new SaaS product or, or any other product, just like deciding on an idea just for the goal of, of like, if I do this product, then I can sell it in five years. I'd, I'd much rather focus on like, if I do this product, I can get customers. And I think that will be a good business to run for mm -hmm. a while. And then later, if, if it goes well, then, then you start to think about, is this sellable? Can I sell it? Do I want to sell it? You know, I, I wouldn't be thinking about that from day one, just in general businesses, the more like more likely than any other outcome is you're going to run it for a while. And if it's, if it goes well, you could probably sell it. Um, the, the smaller minority is, uh, it goes on to like VC multiple rounds of VC funding and IPO, like, <laughs> Uh, or, or, or you just hold on to it for, for many years, but very few people run a business longer than 10 or 20 years now, um, without exiting. So, so the best way to sell it is to not aim to sell it. So the best way to engineer the sale is not to start by aiming for that. You're saying, honestly, if you're able to build a business that's successful and valuable, which is extremely hard to do, um, it, it's sellable. <laughs> It As doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It like it by its nature of it being a valuable business, it is sellable. It it's harder if it's really wrapped up in you, like your personal brand. Um, so, but most software products are not. And, uh, and so, especially if you have recurring revenue, I mean, if you go on micro acquire, you, you could see how much these types of businesses are, are worth, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a huge market of people looking to buy that, those kind of businesses. Yeah. That makes sense. So any, anyone listening to this, just get back to building a healthy business and that should be your North star. Anything else comes as a, as a side effect. That's right. 
Brian, last question on this topic of selling, buying, building, etc. Um, I've seen that two of the acquisitions happened in 2015, after mid 2015 until the end of the year. Do you look back on, first of all, what happened there? Was there any correlation between the two? And two, is there like acts of your life based on how you sold them? Or is it just completely, you don't think about it that way and, and it just happens? It unfolds the way yeah, it does. In, in 2015, I sold Restaurant Engine and Hotel Propeller together. That, that's like a website builder, mm -hmm. um, similar to what you're doing, except it was built on WordPress, not Notion. Um, uh, so that was a sale that I did and I worked with a broker on that. Um, and I also had a small WordPress themes business, which is like downloadable themes. Um, I sold that, that was called theme jam, uh, in 2015. Um, so at that time, like micro acquired didn't exist and, and I didn't have a, as large of a personal network. So is that um, why you cast jam on Twitter because of that? Jam or is it just yeah, I, I was cash jam first. Ah, <laughs> like when I was uh, that was my uh AOL screen name when I was like 13 years old, kind of kind of stuck. Um, the uh, but yeah, now today 2022 with micro acquire and there's other uh similar marketplaces and the market in general for people buying and selling is so much more active today, it's easier than ever, you know. That makes sense. All right, let's uh, finally wrap this up. I appreciate it. the patience and uh, cool. the passion really you've had it in your answers because uh, I feel like you've, you've really given it your best and it was very informative. Yeah. Where, what's the best place for people to find you and where can they buy from you given they, that they want to return <laughs> the favor for all this help? Well, I, I do want to invite anyone to check out zipmessage.com. That's the product that I'm focused on. I would love any feedback on how we can make it better and more useful for you. If you're doing a lot of video messaging and asynchronous conversations with people, um, I think it's a great tool for that. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm, I'm at CastJam. And uh, I also co-host a show, a, a podcast called Bootstrapped Web. And, and then I have a new podcast coming out soon. Um, that's going to be called Open Threads, uh, which will be launching probably in April. So. That's what I wanted to plug for sure. The fact that people will be listening to this, you know, months, hopefully years after as well. So the podcast, the new podcast had to be mentioned. Brian, highly appreciate this. Thank you so, so much. And um, yeah, everybody just go right now on zipmessage.com. Is it .com? <laughs> yep. Okay. Go right now on zipmessage.com and do check it out. Cheers, Brian. All right. Thanks, Daniel.